you having fun just staring from across the room you've got to stretch your stuff and i'll show you just what to do now you gotta dance gotta make your advance you gotta show you've got the guts i gotta move that'll make them swoop and it's called the two-step strut now dance with me Coming soon to a theater near you, it's The Equalizers, a weekly podcast where two idiots drop a cinema sibling in the lap of a perfectly content solo film. My name is Mike Knoll, and I am joined, as always, by the sequel to my prequel, Madison Jones. Madison Jones, are you in good form? I'm in superb form. Freshly vaccinated Madison Jones coming at you. Just got the dose this yeah, morning. Yeah, yeah, Hey, hey. I, of course, famously don't believe in vaccinations. Wow. That's a good energy to bring into this. I think we, we're going to need to have a talk about ending the podcast immediately and never talking to each other again. <laughs> I prefer to think of it as fighting diseases in another dimension. Okay, I get it. I get it. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean... um, since I got vaccinated this morning, I have been hearing government like voices in my head. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's science. It is. It's science. just science. That's how the vaccine works. Is that the government voices just the government voices just yell at the virus until it goes away? <laughs> yeah, I've read many convincing Reddit posts about this. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm. 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 <laughs> I bet there's something not too far off. But in all seriousness, folks. Go get vaccinated yes. when you can. Yeah, go get, for real, go get vaccinated. <laughs> yeah. Even if you can't, just go yeah. and do it. Yeah. Steal the vaccine for yourself. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're doing The Last Starfighter this <laughs> yeah. week. Speaking of vaccines, The Last Starfighter. Some good South Park energy you brought there. Yeah, I didn't mean to. On, on my range of voices, which is very limited, I guess part mm-hmm. it, it's part of the spectrum is South Park voice. Good indeed. Well, far away from South Park, we have... The Last Starfighter. Uh, this week, I have prepared a pitch for a sequel to the movie. Madison, having just completed the truly heroic task of writing and somewhat directing Avengers 2 all together now, parts 1 and 2, I figured it was time to give them a little bit of a break. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I took over responsibility. Just the even more heroic task of uh, you, and our, you, me, and our friends of reading <laughs> that. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah, um, I appreciate the break and I'm looking forward to what you have for this movie that um, mm-hmm. I realized I I actually don't think I had seen this before. Um, okay. I was getting this confused with the movie Star Kid. You ever seen Star Kid? Oh, man. I watched the shit out of Star Kid yeah. when I was younger. Yeah, that's what I thought this movie was. Um, the scene where the suit eats that like hamburger mm-hmm. and then just drops a ball of like pre-chewed food in a, like a cup in front <laughs> yeah. of him inside is like burned into my retinas. Yeah, we should do Star Kid at some point. Oh, we're doing Star Kid here soon. I don't even know. I might have put it on the list for the new for the third era. We'll see. Yeah. But um yeah, we're gonna do Star Kid a hundred percent. Yeah. But as far as Lost Starfighter goes, I actually this was recommended to me when I was like in my early teens. Um Somebody I know who knew my taste in movies was like, I don't know if you ever heard of this, but I just saw it recently. And like, it just seems like something that you would be super interested in. And I ended up not watching it until my freshman year of college. So a couple years later, I saw it on sale at like a Best Buy and thought, oh yeah, I remember this being recommended to me. So I like kind of impulse bought it and I have never regretted it. I own three copies of this movie. Um, one on DVD, one I bought like a four pack of this Battlestar Galactica, Dune, and Flash Gordon. Wow. I mostly bought it for Flash Gordon because it was five dollars mm-hmm. for the four set. So I own two DVD copies, and then I own it digitally. So mm-hmm. I am a big fan of this movie. Yeah, it's a movie. Like I enjoyed it. It was like fun throughout. Like I enjoyed mm-hmm. the um trailer park family aspect of like oh my God. great intro, like to like the 
the trailer park setting and then like the alien races and stuff like um Mm -hmm. i actually thought like i don't like appreciate like the 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 macro plot too much like it wasn't like like it wasn't really gripping but like when you have characters like grig who is just very charismatic and like really like you just want to see grig talk to alex for hours like i live below ground with my wife void and six thousand little griglings at least until zora turns them into slaves where does your kind live oh uh houses mostly that's caves above ground see Here's my family. See, that's that's my folks, and my brother Lewis, and that's Maggie. Uh, we live in a mobile home. That's a cave that that goes places. Only we never went anyplace. A mobile cave that never went anywhere. Fascinating. Yeah. Good news. <laughs> oh, good good um <laughs> this is actually my dinner with andre but i just put alex and grig in the roles yeah yeah and then there's like other like character like there were other like alien creatures and stuff that were like in the beginning mm-hmm. when he first goes into like the pilot like like zone or what the pilot like meeting or whatever and like no the pilot zone was right yeah, the pilot zone <laughs> you know i need to go in and tweak some of the language here in my pitch <laughs> to uh, reflect the pilot zone yeah that's what they call it in the yeah. Air Force. The, the 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 pilots go into the pilot zone, then they get into their planes, which are in the plane zone, and they take off into the sky, which is the air and zone. The air zone, yeah. I do like, and we talked about this a little bit. I think either at the end of the last, at the end of Avengers two, or you and I talked about this off mic. But um, a thing with Last Starfighter is this came out in the eighties after Return of the Jedi had come out, and so the idea was they basically looked at this and said. We have a shot, maybe, at becoming the next, like, thing. We're not going to top George Lucas on practical effects. We're not going to, like, if we go full practical like he did, it's just going to kind of exacerbate what's already being described as, like, a Star Wars ripoff. So we're going to go full CGI, as CGI as we can. Like, the, the aliens are prosthetics. They're not CGI. But anything shot in space is CGI. And it has that chonky 80s CGI. The prosthetics are good, though. I mean, throughout, like, mm-hmm. I think probably, like, on par with Star Wars, I'd say. In my yeah, I mean, Grig looks really good. Grig looks really good. Um, both both of the aliens in the in the pilot zone part, uh, where mm-hmm. uh, the one where Alex stepped on his foot, and then the other one who, like, talked about, like, oh, hey, you shouldn't step on that guy's foot. <laughs> you know, like, like <laughs> those guys are great. Um, the two most gripping characters of the, the entire movie. Yeah, yeah. I love the assassin whose race is a Zandozan, which is just a great, like, a thing I love about this movie, too, is the people who came up with half of the nonsense words were just having, like, the most fun. Yeah. Like, uh, at one point, Centauri, who I'm a big fan of also, says something about, May the luck of the seven pillars of Gulu be with you at all times. And it's like, yeah, that just sounds cool. Yeah. Like, uh, it's Robert Preston, which um, mm-hmm. probably, like, most famously, like, is probably is Harold Hill and the Music Man. And when I saw him come in, I'm like, holy shit, that's like Harold Hill. Um, <laughs> and I was looking up stuff about him and like he said that he actually used Harold Hill's like like persona as like an influence for this character because Harold Hill was also a con man, like kind of mm-hmm. dude who was trying to like. Oh, yeah. I mean, it definitely comes through like it's a perfect fit. Like I love Centauri, just the way he talks. Yeah. Return the money, Centauri. Return the money. 
Are you delirious? You know how long it took to invent the games, to merchandise them, to get them into the stores by Christmas? It must be terribly embarrassing for you, and I do sympathize. However... But I saw him fight! He could be the greatest starfighter ever! That was a game, Centauri. A game? <laughs> you may have thought it was a game, but it was also a test. Aha! A test! Sent out across the universe to find those with the gift to be starfighters. And here you are, my boy. Here you are. Right, here I am, about to be killed. Killed. <laughs> you don't seriously think it's dangerous, do you? <laughs> don't be silly. Trust me. Everything, like, he's got this great, like... Yeah, have you seen Music Man before? I have not. Oh, okay. I'm familiar. I just haven't seen it. I'll check it out. If, I don't know if you like musicals, but... Um... I don't dislike musicals. It's not something I seek out, necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to watch a musical today. I'll watch one, but I won't, like... Oh, I love musicals. Let's hunt them down. Now that I know that um, Harry Hill, correct? Uh, Harold Hill, yeah. Harry Hill's a comedian in Britain. Um, now that I know Harold Hill is basically Centauri, I'm definitely going to find Oh, yeah, yeah. Because... If you want more of, like... If you just want, like, an hour and a half of that, like, definitely go watch. Also, having listened to the episode, of, I believe, of Hey Rotor Row, where Aaron Keefe does the, an entire, like, song <laughs> from Music Man, I'm definitely interested in, in seeing this now. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah no, I, I don't know. Like, it's just such a fun movie like you said the macro plot's nothing to write home about i mean it gets compared to star wars we should probably dig in to that a little bit i would argue that george lucas made the hero's journey in space Mm -hmm. so that no matter what you do if you try to tell a story in space it's going to just have star wars vibes yeah yeah well it's also just like alex's character like his journey is luke skywalker's (laughs) yeah but i mean that's just the hero's journey like that's like the farm boy who's called on a great adventure that's any fantasy movie ever yeah like that's the princess bride but there's even like a like a scene towards the very beginning of the movie where like he's gonna go off with his friends to the lake and then his mom is like oh like uh you need to go do this this and this and he's like but i was gonna go to the lake which also had like but i was gonna go to tossy station and get some power converters <laughs> like kind of vibes like <laughs> there's also the scene where he sits down with alec guinness for 20 minutes to talk about the force mm-hmm. i mean centauri is basically an alec is, yeah i mean he's the mentor one. like i said I'm, I'm not gonna die on this hill <laughs> i'm just it makes me angry when everything sure. is like, oh my god, this is just like Star Wars. When George mean. Lucas basically just took the standard formula for story and put it in space. And it's not like he he did this groundbreaking thing and everybody's copying him. It's just people are telling stories in space. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. It's not a one-to-one for sure, like at all. But they're mm-hmm. like... It was particularly the moment where he was yelling down at oh, his yeah, mom yeah. and was like, but I was going to go to the lake. Like, I'm not precluding that there aren't like... <laughs> things about this that do seem to kind of match up with star wars specifically star wars it's more of just i read a lot of reviews um looking for uh for stuff for this episode and just so many like star wars rip off bad star wars rip off it's like but it's not necessarily like yeah i mean there are some vibes but it's really not a star wars rip i mean everything 80s 80s space like after star wars happened was kind of like like you could say that about anything i think like especially yeah. from that time um yeah i don't i don't think star wars rip off at all like i think it has its own unique elements and like plot it's just yeah like you said it's the hero's journey in space yeah i, I like i said I, I really like this movie it's really fun the, the the big plot's nothing to write home about but i feel like that's probably for the best mm-hmm. for this movie like it's just a fun space romp yeah yeah um, i mean it's the side characters like i even like the earth stuff with like the beta mm-hmm. alex or whatever and 
Um, Lewis's little brother. Lewis's little brother who just loves Playboys. What the shit? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, my favorite Lewis time is at the Playboys, which is, to me, very funny that that's just this weird bit. My favorite part is when, after Alex breaks the record on the machine, <laughs> and he and Maggie are kissing outside, Lewis opens the blinds and just goes, Diarrhea. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> There's another great Lewis line towards the end when Alex is coming back after defeating the uh-huh. the space things and he and Lewis is running outside and he's like Woo! All right for being defeated. Radical or something like that. Like, <laughs> I do want to talk about that scene for a second where the whole town is gathering <laughs> around him watching him break the record. Uh-huh. And I get it that's kind of like, oh, something's happening in this little town. Like, let's watch. Yeah. Like, this is the most exciting thing that's happened all month. This is a trailer park, not a town, just for the record. Yeah, yeah. For anyone who's not seen the movie, it's not like the whole town gathers around. Yeah, yeah. Um, the arcade game, but yeah. But yeah, like. There's just, like, people cheering this dude on, like, breaking a record on, like, uh, on, like, a video game, like, an arcade machine. And, like, his girlfriend, Maggie, earnestly saying, do it, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) Just, like, come on. Like, it's, it's, it was, it was a funny, it was a funny moment. Yeah, it's, it is, I love that fucking trailer park. There was another funny moment after the arcade thing, because his mom wasn't present for that. And then he went and, like, Mm -hmm. told his mom that he broke the record, and she's just, like, that's nice, dear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which I'm like, that's the appropriate response, mom. You're, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, but. I don't know. I'm just, I'm a big fan of this movie. I love the chunky CGI. Mm-hmm. I like, I don't know. I, Greg is so funny to me. Like I said, we, we keep referencing the line where Alex is, talks about the, the Starfighters. Death is a primitive concept. I prefer to think of them as battling evil. In another dimension. And I was like, yeah, I love this guy. What are you talking about? And I wish I could like visually do like what he does when <laughs> yeah. he laughs, but it's just kind of this like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, ha <laughs> like kind of thing. It's like putting your lips under your teeth and then like just opening your mouth as far as you can. Ha <laughs> And then just exhaling. But like for me, the thing I love is it's this, it's just more of this exhale noise and it just kind of like does this coquettish head turn. So it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> oh you missed out frequels that was great yeah it was great i should say uh before we get into any bits and the pitch as we're recording this yesterday the writer of rogue one who has been, apparently been working with the original creator for years released a sizzle reel of what a possible sequel could look like like they're working on it. they've been trying to get a, the last starfighter sequel going for a while and as we're recording this yesterday they released some kind of sizzle reel and he's saying that it's closer than it's ever been so we may be seeing a now unofficial heretical because what i'm about to pitch is the true starfighter yeah. sequel but yeah oh i could see that happening i mean look at like mm-hmm. um it's been a number of years since this movie was released but look at like tron and like Tron like Legacy, 40 years. like, you know, yeah. like that sequel, like people want to bring those 80 movies back and like give them mm-hmm. like sequels like years later. Like I'm for it. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I'm for it. I think it'd be interesting. I don't know if I want a sequel or a reboot. Like I think a sequel, but maybe not focusing on Alex Rogan if we're going to do it in modern sure. day. I mean, have Lance Guest in it and have Maggie in it. Like for the love of God, have Maggie in it. But um, yeah, I just don't know if I need old man lance guest star fighting or whatever like maybe he could be like the new commander or whatever but yeah a reboot would be interesting if they did it like i, I would want it to be a reboot set in the 80s like you know like i don't know if they do mm, that so still set at that time yeah still set at the same time um just to like give it the feel so they could do like a whole like um 
like sort of Stranger Things vibe with a, a movie like that. You mean you don't want to see millennial Alex Rogan downloading some Starfighter DLC on his Xbox? No, I, I do not. Absolutely owning some noobs in the online play to get the high score. No, I don't. Very different people here at the Equalizers. Me, a, a self-described anti-vaxxer, and you, somebody who doesn't like Xbox DLC. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's actually like um, the beginning of the movie. It's just Alex opening like a hundred loot crates until he <laughs> upgrades his like. <laughs> until he uploads his uh, like, he has enough power to like kill like the 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 Star Lord or whatever. Uh, He's putting his Gunstar amiibo on the pad yeah. to download the extra. <laughs> god i pre-ordered the game at gamestop so i'm getting the exclusive grig navigator dlc god that's what he sounds like in the reboot yeah well you liked this movie and i definitely like this movie um it may surprise you there are some people who had other opinions um unfortunately as of last time you were hearing us with avengers 2 i i over gardened the tomato patch um some of the stocks have been getting a little withered, so we're going to have to give the tomato patch a break. Did give me an opportunity to go check our letterbox, uh, and we do have some reviews here from the website Letterboxd. Letterboxd? That's right, gang. We're going to the letterbox. Wait. Uh, it's it's like Goodreads for movies. Oh, okay. But people review it, and honestly, a lot better reviews and a lot more better reviews. Our first letterbox uh, letter here comes from... Connor Wilson, who gave this three and a half stars. I'm going to reboot this, only instead of using an arcade machine to recruit starfighters, they'll use erotic anime dating sims. Oh my God. End of review. That is like, I mean, I think that was just what we were talking about. Is like, if yeah, it's like, a, like, if this was made in, in 2021, it would be like some sort of like, um, sort of meta dating sim of some sort. Yeah. Right? It's like, oh, you romance. Gr- greetings, greetings, Starfighter. You've been recruited by the Star League to de- to defend the frontier by seducing Zur and the Codan Armada. You romance the secret, the secret love option, Centauri, and got the steamy, the steamy image at the end of the game. Hey, Centauri, that hat looks good on you. It looked better on the floor next to my bed. Yeah, it's just Centauri just wearing the hat and nothing else. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Speaking of things we've already covered, Carrie gave this three and a half stars. There is no way in hell an entire trailer park full of people would stop what they're doing to watch some dweeb about to pass a million points on an arcade game. That's the most unrealistic part of this film. End of review. Probably, right? I think. <laughs> I kind of agree. If In like realistic things that would happen in that universe, like understanding that in that universe aliens and like a space fleet exists i do think the most unrealistic thing to happen in that universe would be everyone to come out of their like trailers to watch him like beat a high score i thought it was just also about some dweeb about to pass a million points in an arcade game yeah anyway those were the only letters we had uh here today in the letterbox okay but uh not that many reviews for this movie on the site letterboxd but we're going to keep checking that here weekly. Like I said, I'll, I'll check back on the patch, but I need to let it regrow Yeah. Um, some of the stems. We've been farming it pretty heavily yeah. here the last uh, 52 episodes. So, All right, Madison, do you have any bits for us today? Or are we gonna? Am I going to shoot for two wishes? You're going to shoot for something else. I, I, I haven't decided what the new prize is, but... Um, You're going to wait to just see if I win before you decide yeah, what the prize I'll, is? Yeah, I'll decide if, if it is a wish or not. Uh, if you win okay depending uh-huh. okay, okay. But, that's fine that seems fair um lean up to this we're gonna 
go into my game show within a show more like this as a reminder uh more like this is a uh game show that uh, mike is the only contestant i read three descriptions of movies that are kind of similar to this um that you might see uh similar to the last starfighter that you might see at like the bottom of a netflix page after you watched a movie and it's like oh hey you might enjoy also watching these movies except uh two of them are real and one of them is not and mike has to find which one is not real one of them completely made up coming off a big w from uh the green hornet 2 anti-villain yeah where i won a wish uh so we'll see here what what prize it's gonna be first one daryl 1985 starring barrett oliver barrett oliver is was bastion and never-ending story Daryl is a normal 10-year-old boy in many ways. However, unbeknownst to his parents, Daryl is actually a government-created robot with superhuman reflexes and mental abilities. The child's name Daryl actually stands for Data Analyzing Robot Youth. What's the L for? Oh, I don't know. Okay. (laughs) Interesting. 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 Seems very odd that a feature-length film movie would forget one of the letters of their acronym. Yeah. Or maybe Madison is just dumb and forgot to write that part of it. Moving on to the next one. Of Another World, 1985, starring Peter Weller. Air Force pilot Gordon Smith intercepts an alien spacecraft on a peaceful mission to ask Earth to join an interstellar alliance with other worlds. When the CIA catches wind of the alien's visit, however, and seek to capture him, the peaceful visit turns into a daring escape. And what's this one called? Of Another World. Of Another World. 1985, starring Peter Weller. And the last one, The Cat from Outer Space, 1978, starring Sandy Duncan. Three scientists help an alien feline stranded on Earth to repair its ship in order to return home, but their efforts are hampered by inept army officials and foreign spies. Okay, so I've heard of The Cat from Outer Space. I've not seen it, but I've heard of it. Yeah. So Um, is it Daryl or of another world? See, I, I'm going to go with Daryl, not because of the acronym, but it that just sounds more like the kind of thing you would make up okay. than of another world. So I'm locking in Daryl. You're locking in Daryl. All right. Mm-hmm. Locking in Daryl, putting it in the hatch, seeing if it blasts Six off. Six hours later. Oh, I'm sorry. It was a dud. You have lost the, you have lost more like this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just, I think I forgot to write the L. <laughs> At, at the end of the day, after you described all the movies, that's the one that sounded the most like something you would invent. It wasn't even based off the fact that you forgot the L on Daryl. Yeah, I mean, it's a strategy for me to find something that is so buck wild that is like mm-hmm. exactly something that I would make up to put in here. Right. But sometimes that won't be the case. So it, you're always oh, sure. guessing. So, yeah. Yeah, it was of another world. The Peter Weller Air Force Gordon Smith thing. So that i made up there's a part of me that wants to just be like oh no i wish that i won that game but i'm not gonna waste it on that i mean that's kind of like wishing for infinite wishes i think yeah like, i know <laughs> I, and i'm gonna just do a well i'm also fast. not guaranteed <laughs> I'm a- yeah i'm also not guaranteed that the prize was a wish <laughs> so i'm true. not gonna waste it oh and by the way it was a wish so it was <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh wow what a coincidence <laughs> i can't believe it whoever <laughs> could have seen that coming <laughs> oh god well, maybe next time, Mike. All right. Well, maybe next time. Speaking of more like this, more like The Last Starfighter, into the pitch. Here we go. Yeah. Uh, so as I said last time, and as you know from the title, my movie is called The Next Starfighter. Um, 
it's going to be set pretty quick after the first one. So uh, theoretically, this movie was made in the late 80s, like right after the last Starfighter. So everybody's roughly the same age, everything like that. CGI is pretty much the same. Uh, One note I have here at the top, when writing this, I didn't focus on what a lot of the aliens would look like. So if at any point I'm talking about some aliens and you just were like, hey, Mike, what do they look like? Sure. Go ahead and ask that and I'll we'll fill out the description there. But in the pitch, I realized near to the end, like I haven't described half of the aliens in this. And so like, we'll throw that there. Like in uh, the McCavity War where I had you stop me and ask me how this scene was horny. Yeah. Uh, it's a similar principle. Can I also do that? No. Okay. Uh, maybe for episode 169, okay. we can we can revisit that can, option. Can't wait but... to episode 420 where we're just high during that one, and then episode 666 where we uh, we do a blood po- uh, we we do a blood pact. Oh, we're I'm, can, this is we're locking this in now. If we get to episode 666, Kylie Neal is guesting oh, no yeah. matter what. As a confirmed servant of Satan, we have to have Kylie on for episode 666. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we open in space. Whoa, what? Blown. Yeah, I know, right? In space. The rocky sand planet Remus is centered. A Kodan command ship passes the planet. We see a fleet about the same size as the one assaulting the frontier in the first movie. On the bridge, Kodan commanders are giving orders. Based on the command slash various filter dialogue, this is... I'm sorry. Based on the command slash various filler dialogue, this is clearly an occupying fleet. They're scanning away from the planet into space. One of the sub-commanders questions if this is worth their time. The commander kills him. Whoa. The Riemann navigator and his starfighter have been spotted in the area. He's here to free his people. A red light starts flashing. A drone rotates his chair to get the sub-commander's attention. The planet has fired a missile at them. There's silence for a second, and then the Kodans start laughing. The rebels have gotten foolish. The sub-commander moves to uh, have fighters shoot it down. The commander belays that order. He wants the primitive Remans to see their best shot bounce off their shields ineffective. The commander chides his second, never pass up an opportunity to remind them how powerless they are, sub-commander. We see the missile hurtling through space past ship after ship. We're behind the missile now, seeing the command ship growing bigger and bigger. The casing of the missile starts to fall away to reveal a gun star. Oh my god. As the last pieces fall away, the gun star swoops to a stop and begins firing Death Blossom. On the bridge, sparks fly and consoles explode. Someone calls out, casualty numbers the commander looks at his second in command what kind of warrior is capable of this what kind of what kind of alien was that second in command oh he's a codan they're all this, oh, these are all codan. these are all codan okay okay inside the cockpit of the gunstar alex rogan and grig are rotating at every angle as the ship fires alex speaking so clap bow with hands together and clap again no alex clap clap bow with hands together then arms to the side what did i do Proposed marriage. This is like Alex is trying to learn like a formal greeting. Okay. Okay. Of like like, like an alien formal greeting kind of thing. Like I, I liked cutting from this like intense fight scene that they're just taught. Like he's like studying in the middle of battle yeah. for this. Like this is like a Wednesday for them. Yeah. The Gunstar levels out and Alex and Greg shoot through space, destroying the last vestiges of the Kodan fleet. Greg lightly lectures Alex about his responsibilities. He's a public figure now, and he needs to learn the cultures of the Star League. Alex presses back that he's a starfighter, not an ambassador. You're the last starfighter, Alex. A hero. Like it or not, there are expectations outside the Gunstar. Uh, they execute a remarkable piece of dogfighting in, in remarkably chonky CGI. Greg notes that the rest of the fighters are fleeing. We see some bigger Star League ships rolling in. 
Um, he says, the Marines will clear the surface. Alex says, don't you want to see your wife, Oid? I would love to join the search, Alex, but it will take weeks for her to be located in the slave yards. We don't have the luxury of that much time. Like, this is Greg's home planet that they just freed. He says in the first one that that planet's enslaved by the Codan. Mm-hmm. And I think the idea is, Alex is like, don't you want to, like, go find her? And I think Greg is, has understands the responsibility of them being the only starfighters that, like, yes, I'd love to, but I can't. Okay. Like, you don't have another navigator. I, like, as much as I want to do that... I, I can't like if I take a day off, there's no starfighter. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's a it's an 80 uh, hour work week. Yeah, basically. So he's, now let's practice that greeting again. The ship zips off into space and we have the opening credits play. The opening credits end with blank space and the camera pans down to the planet of Rylos where cr- the crowds lose their shit as Alex and Greg disembark. From afar, we see the nondescript figures of Alex and Greg approach a delegation. We see the Alex figure begin moving in the greeting. After a second, the entire audience gasps in horror. Smash cut to Alex uh, shoving through the door into his apartment. Maggie's on the couch chatting in perfect Rylosian with a friend. The Rylosian president follows Alex and Greg into the apartment. They're on Alex about not learning the customs of the people in Star League. Oh, okay. He basically did, like, he basically insulted the uh, ambassador or whatever by doing the wrong thing. He basically, like, like flipped him off or something like that. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Alex counters that he spends five hours a day in military briefings and eight hours a day patrolling on mission. Throughout the scene, Maggie is trying to show her friend out discreetly. The president sees her and greets her politely in Rylosian. She responds. Alex points out that he hasn't even learned Rylosian yet. Rylosian's overrated, my boy. Now the lost language of the monks of Thut, a truly heavenly language. We pan around and Centauri is on the couch filing his nails. Nice, nice. Greg points out that no one asks Alex to spend that much time starfighting. Alex counters that every day he has to come up with a new plan to counter the overwhelming force of the Armada and win as a single gun star. Like, the idea being every time he pulls a trick on them, that trick doesn't work anymore. So he has to keep coming up with new ploys. Like, hiding in asteroids doesn't work anymore. They search the asteroids. Got it. Every time. That's why he, they basically faked a missile launch and hid inside the case. So is is he like a one-man army? Like, at this point? Yes. Like, like that's that's the point. He's he's it. Like, they, they, never, they never rebuilt the Starfighters. Well, my point is this is like within like six months to a year. Okay. So they're working on it. But in the meantime, he's it. If they want him to learn about a culture so badly, give him information on Kodan culture. Greg responds that no one has that information. And no one has been able to get close enough to learn anything about them beyond what their ships can do and how to shoot them down. Alex makes a motion like, see what I mean? He wants to live and he wants Greg to live. So he has to be single minded. The president interrupts. The solution is simple. They need another starfighter. They're nearly finished building a new gun star. Ideally, they'd have more, but Zor's sabotage of the last year has hindered the output. Like, their starfighter base was blown up. So, like, they're kind of rebuilding slowly. He turns to Centauri. It's time for lightning to strike twice. Centauri confirms payment up front. The president agrees. Maybe she'll get the other tests he spread throughout the Star League space. Centauri shakes his head, thinking, no one's passed those yet. But there is one place that has promise. I sent out 450 tests to the farthest reaches of the Star League, and only one of them was lost. Where is it? Fordak. The President and Grig react. The President waves that idea away. Fordak isn't ready for membership. Besides, it's a Kodan shipyard. Maggie pipes up. So the Kodan don't care if Fordak is mature enough. It's considerably more complicated than Earth wasn't ready. Maybe Alex and I should go back there, and you can find someone from one of your worlds who can do what he can do. Jeez. The President fumbles. Centauri crooks a smile as... And he regards Maggie, maybe for the first time. Is the president the Christopher Lee-looking guy? Yeah. Okay. The victory or death! Yeah. Victory or death! That guy. Got it. 
The president relents. Since there's precedent, Starley can allow it. He'll send a team of Marines to protect Centauri. No, no, an honor guard isn't Centauri star. I'll take Maggie. Greg and Alex think they should go. The president cuts off any debate. Alex and Greg can't be spared for this mission. And he basically, he says this in a way that makes it clear this is not something he is going to relent on. Uh, he raises to leave. Centauri needs to come with him so they can make the arrangements for this mission. Centauri follows him out of the room. Alex opens his mouth to argue and Centauri waves a hand to forestall this. Trust Centauri, my boy. Have I ever steered you wrong? He goes to leave before Alex can respond, but stops at the door. He pulls a handkerchief from his breast pocket and wipes his face, clearly sweating. Greg asks if he's all right. Centauri crooks a smile, tucks the handkerchief in his breast pocket again and responds, quite all right, just thinking of all that money. <laughs> As the door closes behind them, Alex turns to Maggie. Is she actually going to go with Centauri? Uh, she says, you asked me to come here. I'm trying, Alex. I'm not going to keep the apartment a playhostess. I want to help. I want to help you. Alex says, this is dangerous, though. Maggie says, no, hiding Lewis's playboys was dangerous. This is just infiltrating a Kodan shipyard. They smooch and tenderly repeat the you and me forever thing that they say mm -hmm. in the, the first one. Uh, seeing Greg being awkward off to the side, Maggie invites him to dinner. He has to go check the feeds from Remus, but we'll be back for dinner. And after Greg leaves, Alex marks this is a third dinner invite this week. Maggie notes that Greg is his partner and alone on Rylos. We transition to that evening. Alex and Greg are elbow deep in washing dishes because this is space, but also still the 80s. Mm -hmm. Greg is wrapping up saying that so far his wifeoid hasn't been located, but he's hopeful that she'll be found in the next few days. Several of his Griglings have been found and are assisting in finding her. Alex is positive and supportive. Greg comments that he's grateful Alex and Maggie have him over so much. Rylos can be a lonely place and it hasn't gone unnoticed how often he's invited to be part of their family. Doesn't he have like 6,000 kids? <laughs> I think that's Yeah, like... but they're all on the planet is the thing. Yeah. They're all back on the home planet enslaved. Like he has kids. That's what I'm saying. Like they found a lot of his kids and they're helping with the search. Got it. Okay. On the planet. But, but Greg is alone on this planet. Yeah. Alex echoes Maggie's sentiment earlier and apologizes he's not reached out to Greg himself. Greg waves it away. He knows how busy Alex is. He takes this opportunity to reiterate some of his concerns about Alex turtling into starfighting, but with a gentler tone. He says, uh, and Alex, says, there's more to life than starfighting, Alex. I know, Greg, but starfighting is what I'm good at. The other stuff, not so much. Yes, but how did you get so good at starfighting, Alex? Natural skill? Practice. The doorbell chimes with a spacey doorbell sound. Alex and Greg enter the room, and the door opens to reveal the Rylosian president. He apologizes for interrupting, but an emergency situation has come up. They clear the table, and he places two small devices in the center. He thumbs one open, and a hologram of Zur floats before them. Mm -hmm. The spies have confirmed that a Kodan transport is carrying Zur to a flagship for interrogation. He's been on the run since he escaped the frontier invasion, but the Kodan were able to track him down first. The things Zur knows can't fall into Kodan hands. Similarly... Having lived among them for so long, the things he knows about the Kodan kind of trail off there. They need Alex and Greg to intercept the transport, disable it, and then hold off the Kodan fighters while a Rylosian marine cruiser docks, extracts her, and takes him back to Rylos. They know the location of the meet and want Alex and Greg to leave first thing in the morning to get there before the Kodan. Alice asks what, Alex asks what the second device is for. The president isn't pleased, but thumbs it open to show a planet. This is Maggie's briefing. Fordak is a fairly primitive world compared to Star League standards and a heavy Kodan presence on the ground. Again, I, I mentioned this is one of their biggest shipyards. It's located there, and the local population works the production factories and iron mines. Maggie and Centauri are going to take a stealth pod to the planet's surface, make their way into the capital city where Centauri sent the test. They're going to locate it and begin running it to find the next starfighter. Once they've found the new starfighter, they'll smuggle him out of the city and signal for exfiltration. Maggie asks the logical question. If the test was lost, how will we know if he's a good starfighter? <laughs> the president says, I asked the same question. 
He just kept saying, trade secret, Mr. President, <laughs> trade secret. Uh, Alex mentions again how he's concerned with this plan. The president, clearly done with today, sort of snaps, then you reason with him and leaves. The two holographic images of Zor and Fordak floating in the air, one above Alex and Greg, the other over Maggie, as they look into the camera watching the president leave the Relogian skyline at night behind them. Are you going to drink of water? No. Some kind of transition where we see both ships shooting into space and heading in different directions. I'm actually going to get a drink of water. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some kind of transition where we see both ships shooting into space and heading in different directions. We fall Alex and the Gunstar. They do that light speed or hyperspace tunnel effect. Grig is talking in some kind of view screen in his native tongue. Before he turns it off, we see a female Grig waving goodbye. Alex makes a big deal of checking some instruments to give Grig a moment to wipe away a tear. The Gunstar drops out of hyperspace or whatever in an asteroid fleet in an asteroid field. Grig and Alex talk strategy. They run through some options they used in the past. We use this to show how many wild plants Alex has had to come up with to level the playing field fighting the Kodan. Hide in the tunnels of the asteroids? Day one. Use the lasers to carve the asteroids into a fake armada? They did that over Ud, etc. Greg taps some keys. You know, if we retreat precisely two light minutes at maximum velocity, Alex spins his chair on. We're not doing ramming speed, Greg. We keep telling you we'd shatter against their hull. He spins back around to himself. Thought having something to live for would finally kill that suicidal streak. They zip through the asteroids looking for somewhere to stage their next attack. I just liked keeping Greg as this, like, wouldn't ramming speed be a glorious play? Yeah. yeah. Kill us, though. We cut to Maggie and Centauri approaching Fordak. It's a lush tropical rainforest planet. The stealth pods slip into the tree line. We can see a largely fortified city where the jungle has been burned and stripped away by production. An enormous shipyard stretches into the horizon. Outside the city, we see Maggie and Centauri creep through some trees and enter a low, polluted river, sneaking into the drain, polluting the stream. We see them now close up as they crouch at the grated mouth of a city drain. Kodan boots stomp overhead. Centauri silently motions to Maggie and they clamber to the surface. They rush to the shade of a nearby awning. Another patrol passes and pays them no mind. Maggie relaxes. We'll rest here for a moment, dear girl, and once we've caught our breath, we'll head for the market. Maggie wonders why the Kodan would pick a tropical forest for a shipyard. Centauri, pouring a glass of something from a pitcher on a table next to him, answers. To be clear, this isn't a restaurant. This is someone's porch they're on. <laughs> and Centauri just pouring a drink. The trees keep the people in. Build a fortress in the middle of a forest populated with carnivorous beasts, and the only escape is a heavily guarded spaceport. He sniffs the contents of the glass and pours it back into the pitcher. Shall we? Do we get some, like, because it's, like, a jungle, like, area, do we see some of the animals and, like, stuff, like? I think so. I mean, like, saber, I think, like, a big, like, saber-toothed tiger cat with, like, eye stalks. Sure. And stuff, like, um. I'm imagining, like, some, like, you know, like, you ever seen the Flintstones movie? Like, with, like, sort of, yes, like, the, like. for a long time ago, Like, yeah. the, the sort of prosthetic, like, animal creatures that are their appliances mm -hmm. and crap like that. Like, but with, like, alien creatures. I mean, I'm not doing a Flintstones. They have like an alien bird who is their record player. Yeah, yeah. I, I know like, it's not like that, but like it, like the sort of like practical effect kind of animals, yeah. right? I mean, we're going to CGI as much as we can because that's part of the sure. appeal, of, like not the appeal. That's part of the flavor of this franchise. Um, but I'm not opposed to some like uh, practical effect, like animal birds and stuff. Uh, the the city itself though is more like dirt and not really trees. Like they have burned out this. Ba like base camp capital city so it's almost like um, imagine more of like a like a dirt city sure but the surrounding perimeter is like tropical rainforest got it got it and that's kind of where they are but we do see animals like over the walls like birds and shit cool. like that cool he folds up his handkerchief and puts it back in his breast pocket maggie clocks that there is black blood on it we cut back to alex and greg hovering in space greg says even i think this is reckless 
Unless you can summon up a planet, Greg, this is the only thing we've never tried using before. Space before the morphs as an enormous codan flagship drops out of hyperspace inches above them. Greg slams the controls upward and the ship attaches to the bottom. Uh, a little bit of a Han Solo maneuver yeah. here. Greg does that horse laugh and shrugs. Shrug he does. Like, it happens to the best of us. They get back to business scanning frequencies or something. There's blips and they prepare to drop off an intercept. Greg signals the Marines. A smaller ship drops out of hyperspace and the gunstar swings into action, making quick work of disabling the new transport ship and using thrusters to ground it on a nearby asteroid. Greg signals the Marines as the flagship doors open and fighters scramble. Alex and Greg get to work on starfighting. It's not flashy because it can't be due to this early 80s CGI. Then another flagship drops and then another. More and more fighters scramble. This was a trap. Greg was unable to warn off the Marines, and we see their ships go up in explosions. Alex watches a tidal wave of Kodan fighters rise up before him. Uh, this is I'm going to kind of peel the bayonet off here. We cut back to them. This is a marathon fight that I've set up for Alex and Greg, like nonstop starfighting. Got it. It is not character interesting really a lot. So we're going to cut back to them for like tidbits here and there. By and large, the premise is this is a fight that they just have to, like they can't stop fighting and they can't gain the upper hand. Yeah. Um, Can we? The Maggie Centauri stuff is going to be most of the movie. Yeah. I imagine, like, in that, like, on his, like, dashboard, you know how, like, on the um, arcade machine, there was, like, mm-hmm. an actual counter for, like, the score and stuff? Like, yeah. maybe, like, it is, like, counting up, like, how many kills they get or, like, something as well. Like, and it's, like, him breaking the record again or something like that. I hadn't wrote that in, but I'm not opposed to, like, a kill count or something like that. Yeah. Like, just, I think we'll use a kill count to show how long been starfighting. Because, like, I don't have a means of showing that other than implying that this is happening as other scenes are happening. Mm-hmm. So that you get a sense of real time. But I think that that's maybe a better way of showing how long this fight has been going on. Yeah. Uh, which is very good. So that is now included. I don't mention it, but that is now included in the movie. On Fordak, Maggie and Greg enter a bustling marketplace. Children are running about laughing. Stalls selling jewelry, tools, food, other wares, etc. This is a standard alien market. There's also a heavy Kodan presence here. Guards at every street corner. Maggie leans over to Centauri and mutters, asking where the test was delivered. Centauri leans in too and tells her to guess. Maggie scans the market again and settles on an old building in the marketplace. She says, that chapel. What makes you think that's a chapel? It's covered in Kodan iconography, but all of the is paint, but all of that is painted over another set of glyphs. Centauri says, oh, well, it makes you think, and she cuts him off. It's the only building with bars on the windows. Mm-hmm. Centauri says, sometimes I wonder what would have happened if you had broken that record. Maggie, without looking away from the chapel, the ward be over by now. <laughs> they start to make their way toward the chapel. Uh, in the throng of the market, they're stopped by a guard asking for their papers. Maggie starts flirting her way out of it to distract while Centauri starts to creep around him to get to the chapel. At this point, Maggie is persnapped. We're going to sort of, oh, this I, this is where I put in the script, what I just told you, but we're going to sort of skip over Alex's part for a while. It's a lot of starfighting without end as he grows increasingly fatigued and outgunned, frustrated he can't get an upper hand on the flagships, their usual weak spots not working. Back on Fordak, Maggie is chasing the purse snatcher down side streets as Centauri tries to catch up. He stumbles and falls, and Maggie comes back, and we see blood pouring from his nose. Uh, she says, oh, Centauri, what can I do? A street-tough voice says, give us all your valuables. She turns and we see some street toughs surrounding them. The purse snatchers amongst them. The leader draws a sickly jagged knife from his belt. Maggie looks around and tries to put herself between all the toughs and Centauri. Just before they close in, a figure drops into their midst. And we hear a voice say, We talked about this, fellas. The toughs turn to see the voice. We see a Han Solo type, the only Star Wars reference I'll use in this movie, a six-foot-tall, blue, barrel-chested humanoid with a rhino horn on his head. 
There's also probably some light prosthetics on the face to as well to make him look more alien than just blue human with a rhino horn. Sure. I don't know exactly like not like pincers. I think just like some light prosthetics to model the skin or just so it doesn't look like a dude with a rhino horn yeah. and he's blue. He's also played by Harrison Ford, right? <laughs> he is not. I did cast this character as a person no one would know. Uh, the name is Daz Crawford because of something else I was watching. I was reminded of the show American Gladiators, which came sure. out about this time. And I just thought, hey, for a six foot tall barrel chested athletic person, I'll just cast an American Gladiator. So I went through the IND page. I saw that guy and he looked about what I wanted. Um, so that is actually who's the casted for this because it was about that time. Mm-hmm. No one knows who that is. So I didn't put his name in the actual description, but you can look him up and imagine him as a sort of blue rhino man with some lighter prosthetics. If you want to see what he looks like. Um, rhino horn. He starts fist fighting the toughs and holding his own mostly by apparently being able to take a lot more hits than he gives out, but he hits harder. So he's just more like in endu- like endurance. Like they, they're hitting sure. him a lot, but they don't seem to affect him as much as when he hits. He's got them. figure. <laughs> suddenly with a thwang some of the toughs start to suddenly drop we see a squirrel themed alien f- uh, four foot nothing leaning out of a window and firing with a slingshot uh centauri leaning heavily against a wall firing a small pocket pistol at various thugs this is a kooky fight i'm thinking like sure. the classic like a market fight where, like drop a, a basket over somebody's head and like push them whatever. like it gets a little silly here we, we put some levity in. i didn't write a lot of jokes into this movie yeah and the first one there are a lot the betas all the beta unit stuff is hilarious and i didn't really work in that comedy i'm, so I'm mentioning like the battle bit. scenes and like the mummy movies where like um yeah. like Brendan fraser <laughs> and rachel wise are like pretty capable and like are doing like good stuff and then like jonathan is like like kind of fumbling like beating people and that's like the centauri character is like he's kind of like fumbling around like yeah exactly like it's it's that kind of stuff like maggie and maggie's kind of helping but it's mostly like tripping people or like pushing them into each other or stuff like that she's not really a fighter the toughs scurry off the rhino man turns to maggie and centauri and asks if they're okay he introduces himself as brawlo b-r-a-l-l-o and his friend, the squirrel, is Cloud. So Brawlo and Cloud. Cloud is played by uh, Kei Hoi Kwan, who was short round in Temple of Doom. And is carrying a buster sword. <laughs> Jesus. Um, no. What's the character in Goonies that he plays? Is it like Q? Uh, is he like Gadget? Or I thought his name was like I, Q or I something. almost said Gadget. I'm going to look that up as you continue. Yeah, he is uh, playing a sort of small squirrel alien type creature. They realize Centauri is bleeding freely from his nose, frozen against the wall, and move to help him when the Kodan troops appear to check out the disturbance. They arrest the group. We see them led back to the chapel, which has been converted into a pretty down-home jail. Uh, one large cell, a sheriff's death, etc. Maggie is screaming at them to get a doctor as Centauri is pale. The blood flow is steady. Go ahead. Data. Data, of course. I think Gadget is the person. Isn't that like in the Rescue Rangers who is a squirrel? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, she's a she's a like a mouse in Rescue Rangers, yeah. but I didn't know if that was also his name. Uh, Maggie is screaming at them to get a doctor of Centauri's pale. The blood flow is steady. The Codan forces depart, leaving only one or two guards at the desks. One of them clanks the bars and welcomes Brawlo home. Brawlo and Claude ignore him, talking quietly in the corner. Maggie moves to Centauri's side. He smiles weakly at her. Never fear, dear girl. Centauri's been in tighter. He coughs a moment, and we see fresh blood on the handkerchief. Maggie, no one knows, do they? If they did, it would drop the price point. He coughs again. Hmm. And the doctors were clear there wouldn't be many paydays in the future. Uh, Maggie starts to speak, and Centauri cuts her off. No, no. I've done many great things in my time, a life well lived. There's just one last thing I need to do before I, as Grig would say, make my fortune in another dimension. 
Maggie assures him they'll find the next starfighter, and he smiles mischievously at her. Brawlo gets her attention. They need to bust out sooner rather than later, and Maggie agrees. But how? Brawlo tells her he has a plan. They need to hold tight for a few more minutes. He takes the one chair in their cell and puts it in the middle of the cell, just waiting. Before long, one of the Kodan cops leaves for space coffee or whatever, and as he opens the secure door, the street toughs overwhelm the guards. <laughs> what? Space coffee. There are times where I dug into like, yeah, this is what it's called, and this is what it looks like. And there are times where like, I don't know, space coffee or whatever. Yeah. I'm not gonna like invent. I'm not gonna get that nitty gritty. Um, as he opens the secure door, the street toughs overwhelm the guard and take the station. After killing the Kodan, they re-secure the facility. The leader approaches Maggie in Centauri's cell. They've checked her bag and they know who they are, and they're going to sell them to the Kodan. One of the toughs is at the radio as they say this, making contact. So basically, they figured out that this is. Maggie, like Alex Rogan's girlfriend, wife, whatever, and sent like the Centauri. Brawl hears this, and this is how he finds out. He, that's a, that was important. He and Cloud mutter quietly to each other, and then fist bump. Brawl speaks up. He says, "Trade is mutual defeat. Leave bodies where there were open hands." The toughs focus on him now. They know who he is too, and Conan might pay double for Brawl. He repeats, "Trade is mutual defeat. Leave bodies where there were open hands." They laugh at this, and Brawl sits tight. Back in the fight, we catch a full death blossom that takes out many ships, but they are still outgunned, boy howdy. Oh, they still are outgunned, boy howdy. Boy howdy, they are outgunned, boy howdy. Pijingo. They're starting, to, they're starting to get hit more and more as fatigue takes its toll. A hangar door opens on a flagship, and another ship emerges. One of those fighters that's so distinctive and special looking, it has to be a villain's personal ship. Mm-hmm. It shoots into the distance. Alex wants to take shots at it, but they just can't with the attack force on them. As like a red light. It's like a black ship with like a red lightning bolt on it or something. Yeah, or like, yeah. like it's, It is one of those ships where it's like, here's all our normal fighters. And then here's one that is clearly extremely distinctive. It's like Darth Vader's TIE yeah. fighter is like, all of the TIE fighters have flat wings, but mine has curved wings and is all black. Yeah, yeah. Also, because it's like that poly, like Star Fox po- polygon, like sort of like graphics. Yeah. It is like, uh, it, it we're, the, what, what we're describing sounds cooler than what it actually looks like. It like is probably yeah. like just like a. Like, the other thing, writing this in my head, I saw this in very crisp, clear, yeah. like HD. Like, oh god, this would look so cool. And then it's like, great, now knock that down about five levels of pristineness, and that's what you're looking. Go down at. to like, PS One graphics, and <laughs> I was gonna say, imagine you're watching this on a Nintendo sixty four. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So distinctive and especially that it has to be a villain's personal ship. She's in this. Alice wants to take shots at it, but they just can't with the attack force on them. Back on Fordak and the street toughs are living large, getting into the armory, etc. This is a big move for them. Maggie's switching between watching them and Centauri. She feels a tug at her sleeve and looks down to see Cloud is... Oh, this is from a previous draft. Um, oh, okay. So I'm, I'm going to... I apologize. I changed part of this in a draft and I forgot to change it here. So okay. I'm going to kind of loosely... Cloud basically tells her that they're... Um, they have an escape plan and Brawlo is going to fight the toughs while they get out. Um, Centauri says they should leave him behind and escape. And before Maggie can say anything, Cloud says Brawlo's first rule is no one gets left behind. So just be ready. There's a knock at the door. As one of the toughs moves in to check the door, it's, it flies off its hinges as a Kodan agent, the approximate size and shape of Dolph Lundgren moves into the office. Actually. Yeah. It's Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. I, I wrote that at that time, and I just decided, yeah, fuck it. It can just be Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. He moves into the room and just the cells. This is, I mean, this is a Kodan guy who is the size and shape. Like, that is Dolph Lundgren. So he has the face makeup. He has, like, the prosthetics, everything like that. Like, just imagine this enormous, like, fucking ripped Kodan. This is, like, prime Dolph Lundgren time, too. Like, yeah. at, like the early, at the beginning of his career where he was, like, in every, like, like action movie. 
He moves into the room and surveys the cells. The leader of the street toughs moves up to begin negotiating. He introduces himself with the name no one cares about because he's a nothing character. And I wrote in here, Madison, what's that name? What's this character's name? Um, the Dolph Lundgren one? The the leader of the street toughs. Oh, um, Gorth. Gorth. Gor- it's like Garth, uh, but Gorth. I, I, funnily enough, I caught that. That subtle, uh, that subtle reference. Uh, the Coden introduces himself as Executor Croon. <laughs> Gorth does that street tough thing of trying to make the sale, but with no confidence and just repeating how useful their endeavors were. Croon looks at Maggie and Centauri. Why are you here? They don't talk. Croon looks at them and then at Brawl. He moves to that cell. Oh, originally, they were in two separate cells, and I realized for character growth and development and people talking, it made more sense for them to be in one cell. Sure. Uh, so he looks at Brawl. Why are they here? Brawlo says, silence is the perfect defense. Kruin looks personally affronted at this and rips off the doors of the cell. Gorth steps up to intercede since he hasn't been paid yet, and Kruin kills him. Gorth! Uh, everyone's favorite in character just dies, just dies two minutes in into their introduction. From here. Uh, I'll probably cut me singing that and put in the actual, because that, sure. even to me, sounded atrocious. The other toughs move into fight, and Kroon strikes them all down. Brawlo and Cloud dart from their cell, and Cloud frees Maggie and Centauri as Brawlo joins the fray, mostly fighting street toughs, but in the dance of combat, sometimes he and Kroon exchange blows. Brawlo taking the hits, but seeming to not register them. He's a hearty motherfucker. Cloud grabs Maggie, and who sort of forces Centauri to his feet, and they scurry out of the station. Here in my notes I wrote, I sort of late stage changed a few points, so this is going to get really hand-wavy sure. at this point in the script. Uh, Maggie, Brawlo, Cloud, and Satari wear their way, th- I guess weave their way through this city, dodging patrols and the single-minded pursuit of Executor Kroon. I'm going to put it in here because, again, it, it fell short and I realized later I didn't really explain. This is like a uh, Terminator, like in, I don't know if, in Guardians of the Galaxy is the closest thing I can think of, how the Kree have um, accusers, like these agents who go out and deal like justice, or, or they're like assassins and like, they're yeah. fucking single-minded agents that just get the job. It's kind of like in Resident Evil 2, I think, with Mr. Mm-hmm. X. Like, it's just like this non-stop like bruiser that's just constantly hunting yes. them. Yeah, that's what an executor is. Got like, it. So I invented that Brawlo is moving them in weird ways, almost counterintuitive to escaping the city, like doubling back up side streets or like not really towards an exit. Uh, the whole while Centauri is disoriented. At some point, I'm sorry, at, all the whole while Centauri is deteriorating. At some point, they're resting in an abandoned apartment, Brawlo drawing some kind of design on the ground. We get a few moments for character with Brawlo. Uh, he used to be the priest in that chapel. Uh, the same day the test appeared, the Kodan overtook the chapel and converted it into a jail. So they came for the test, and he says, no, they came for this. And he pulls what looks like a small stone tablet from his bag. Uh, the tablet has an opening on the side, so it's actually a container. The description I used to get you, a, like, imagine like a book, but or like a tablet, but in the side of it, there's like, almost like a toaster slot opening okay. that's full of like cracked brown aged pages. It's actually a container. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Centaurus flabbergasted. That's a Kodan tract, their holy book. No one outside the Kodan has ever seen one. Brawl smiles and, uh, because this is, I, I didn't do a good job of this, but the stuff he said about like trade is mutual defeat, mm-hmm. the perfect defense, those are like Kodan like Psalms or whatever. Like, he's quoting their religion. And Maggie, because of the chapel thing, says, you must hate the Kodan more than most. And Brawl says, I don't hate the Kodan because I understand them. Their whole lives, they're forced to fed this dogma. They have to be stopped, but I don't hate them. Mm-hmm. 
Like the idea being just because they're brainwashed, like they're they're bad and they ha- like we need to stop the codem, but I don't hate them. Yeah. What? Maggie says they should probably get moving. Brawl says that they're exactly where they need to be. She says that they're going to find us soon in Cloud. Uh, Cloud, giddy with excitement, says that that's the point. The movie plays with this a second, like maybe Brawler and Cloud are traitors. There's a heavy knocking at the door. They've been discovered. Cloud pulls a curtain back and starts opening the window. Brawler explains that he's been running them around the city so the Kodan can't follow him. There's an old superstition in their religion that once you've passed down a road or path, uh, you can't pass it again. Something about it being retreat. It doesn't make much sense, but it's useful. Uh, I just had this idea of the Kodan refusing to like, I won't go back down that street. I've already been there and that would be retreat. Got it. Like just this weird nonsensical. They're like a dad. They're like a dad won't, that won't ask for directions. They're just like, nope, I've committed to this d- decision and I'm going to do this. Yeah. And it's more of like superstitious. Like it would be retreat to go down that road again. Yeah. They're going to be trapped in the building while our heroes jump out the window. Maggie goes to get Centauri to his feet and he waves her off. My race is run, dear girl. Centauri will stay here and take as many off your trail as he can. And she says, but we still have to find the next Starfighter. Centauri shakes his head, taking off his hat. Centauri was never here to find the next Starfighter, Maggie. Centauri was here to find the next Centauri, he says Mm -hmm. as he offers her the hat. Maggie, I'm not you. I can't be you. You and Alex and Grig are the heroes. I'm nobody. Centauri laughs and coughs up some blood. I'll tell you the same thing I told another Earthling before he became the greatest Starfighter there ever was. If that's all you think, that's all you'll ever be. He presses the hat into her hand with a wink as he draws his gun. He says, there's more to you than Alex Rogan, Maggie. So I'm going to teach you the three rules of being Centauri. One, trust the universe. It wants to look after itself. Two, trust yourself above the universe. It's not very good at looking after itself. Mm -hmm. Three, always cash up front. (laughs) Maggie laughs through her tears and gives him one last hug before she gets up and follows Brawl out the window. The door bursts in and Centauri Centauri starts shooting. He takes out a number of Kodan troops as the door is a small choke point. He reloads as it seems like he has a second. When he levels the gun again, Executor Kroon is right in front of him and crushes the gun with his bare hands. From his back, he draws a large space axe, which he's had this whole time for your information. He raises and lowers it. Uh, he turns around and walks out of the room. I don't think we see Centauri get yeah. axed. It's more of it's like... kind of brutal. It's like a, from the ground, it's a shot up at Kroon as he picks out the axe, and then he just like drop, like puts it down, and that's that's the scene. He turns around and walks out of the room, but finds the other Kodan grouped by the front door, not leaving. They mention the superstition thing, and he roars in fury. On the street, Maggie and co. are racing around this, the edge of the city. They steal a Kodan speeder, I guess, Cloud taking the wheel and Brawlo the mounted gun. As they're racing through the streets, a few other speeders now... Uh, a few other speeders of different Kodan guards chasing them. We also see Executor Kroon running rooftop to rooftop in a cheat on that superstition thing. Maggie suddenly looks up and sees a pilot and gunner working in perfect unison. The thing that has been metatextually clear to us the whole time clicks in her brain and she smiles down at the hat. A very cool action scene. Long story short, they make it to the outskirts of town. I think as Cloud ramps the speeder over the walls. On the other side of the wall, Brawler heaves a heavy sigh. Maggie is safe now. He and Cloud will wait a few days for the heat to die down and then sneak back into the city. Maggie begs him to come with her. Brawler says that he's needed here. She reminds him of what he said about the Kodan needing to be stopped. He can help with that. The tract would be invaluable to Star League, and Brawler has the heart of a starfighter. He and Cloud could make a real difference in the galaxy. Brawler wavers. I'm not a starfighter. I'm an ex-priest who beats up punks. Maggie says, so, so beat up the biggest punks in the galaxy. He says, my vows were to protect my flock. I can't abandon them to play Spaceman. She says, destroy the Kodan, and they are protected. Cloud touches his arm. says, we'll come back for them. Brawl looks down at Cloud. This is what they would want. After a moment, he nods. 
We see Kroon standing on the rooftop watching over the walls as Maggie's stealth pod lifts off above the far tree line and shoots into space. He turns and presses a comm button, calling for his ship to be made ready. We can see the Alex and Grig fight. Things are extremely bad, but they're alive, but missiles are depleted, and they only have one more death blossom. If they try again after that, the ship won't, be, won't hold together. This is fine. Back to Maggie. They're leaving the atmosphere of Fordak. She, she's logging coordinates, general space pilot things. Brawl asks her the plan. She stares for a head a moment and then puts on the hat. The plan is, you start training. A panel slides open in the back of the ship, and the cockpit is bathed in faint light. We hear Metallic Centauri's voice. Greetings, Starfighter. You have been recruited to the Star League. And it pans out as he gets to the... Basically, the, the arcade game's in the back of the ship. Okay. Brawlo moves to the back of the ship. Claude asks where his training is, and Maggie hands him a large binder to read. Claude looks put out that his isn't a video game. Maggie takes up the comms and dials into Rilo's frequencies. She says something that retcons the fact I earlier said they would radio for extract instead of using the same ship, and I'm just now remembering that. She also, looking back at Brawlo, says they're going to need to make some adjustments to the new Gunstar. This was like 10 pages long, so I'm kind of huddled. I know I'm reading kind of quick. Are you good? Alex and Greg are in purely defensive mode at this point, just dodging as many blasts as they can. On one of the Kodan flagships, they receive a communique about Brawlo's escape and his knowledge of their ways. The Kodan are infuriated by this. Outsiders knowing their ways is an affront. At this point, we're playing fast and loose with time as Brawlo's gunstar zips into the fray. It's more of a tank gunstar than Alex's lighter, faster ship. Uh, immediately, he starts taking heavy fire, but many blasts just bounce off. Brawlo radios Alex, and they start talking. Alex says they've tried the pressure points, but the usual pressure points, but the flagships aren't going down. Brawlo scans the flagship and sees the issue. It wasn't Kodan made. It was made on the shipyards of Jow Minor. They believe ships are imbued with the spirit of everyone who built them. You can tell by the small riveting on the wings. The seams are bolted into a pattern that's their rune for spirit. The wings are the weak spot. Alex is taken aback by this, and they make short work of two of the flagships. The third clusters fighters around it for protection. That's a whole sentence. It clusters fighters around it for protection. Brawl scans this one, and it's made somewhere else in its super specific thing. Sorry, my brain has stopped designing individual flaws in a ship that's not a big exhaust port. Uh, there's no way they're going to get close enough. <laughs> Sensors indicate they're focusing fire. I just, at this point, I had done so much specific, like, detail work that I was like, I, it's yeah, fine. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's no way they're going to get close enough. Sensors indicate they're focusing fire on Brawlo in the rage that is knowledge of their ways. Alex calls for a retreat to the nearby asteroids. The flagship and his fighters advance on the asteroid. After a few moments, the ships emerge again and the fighters cluster on Brawlo's gunstar. Alex's gunstar zips through the fighters heading for the last flagship. Alex and Brawlo are in constant contact. Alex's gunstar is on course for his usual assault style. The Kodan on board laughing at how foolish this is. Suddenly, he breaks off and heads for the weak spot. They're shocked. We cut to the we cut the bullshit. It's the Alex and Brawlo have switched gunstars. <laughs> Brawl swoops into position and fires the last Death Blossom to destroy the ship. At this point, I've realized maybe the weakness is hitting several specific pressure points at once. Yeah. And that's why um, that would work. The flagship is destroyed and Alex this is destroyed and Alex also Death Blossoms to wipe out the majority of the other fighters. This is where when Executor Croon's beefy fighter joins the fray. It grounds Alex's gunstar and hangs above it, about to destroy it and Brawlo and Cloud completely. Alex calls out, Grig, Finally! They ramming speed through the fighter. <laughs> they th threw it Go ahead. like they bisect yeah. it with like the fighter. Yeah. Okay. I think they just I'm because like this isn't the um oh, what was her name from the Last Jedi? Yeah, uh, Laura Dern's character. It's not Holdo. This isn't the Holdo maneuver where they like bisect it. I'm imagining they shoot through it and it is in like a thousand pieces. Got it. It just like explodes basically. Brawl fires thrusters and gets Alex's ship airborne again. The two gunstars hang in mid-space for a moment. Alex and Grig nearly passed out from the 
uh, nearly day-long fight. The two starfighters exchange official greetings and provide a loose cover for the marine ship now descending on the transport ship Alex grounded at the beginning of the fight to get Zor. We cut to Rylos where Alex and Greg get a hero's welcome, just like the first one. Alex steps aside and holds a hand out as Brawlo and Cloud step forward to thunderous applause. Alex looks around and we see Maggie leaning against a pillar a bit away a bit away from the fray, Centauri's hat on, smiling. The president brings them all together. He's so happy to have Brawlo with them. Now that there are two gun stars, it takes pressure off Alex, plus they've begun building two new gun stars. He looks hesitantly at Maggie. I know he left you a long shadow, Maggie. And Alex says, wait, are you the new Centauri? Maggie agrees at a beat. Do I have to call you Centauri? She says, only when I'm wearing the hat, dear boy. There's a celebration as we fade uh, to Farnak. Also, I meant to write in the line where she confirms payment up front mm-hmm. about finding two new uh, starfighters. There's a celebration as we fade to Fordak. We see the marketplace again, people cleaning up after the destruction and Kodan construction crews rebuilding the destroyed jail. Then two shadows fly overhead. Two Gunstar shadows. We watch Alex and Brawler destroy the shipyards as credits roll over it. And then, the and then Cloud end. Limit breaks and does a cool combo. No. What? <laughs> no. What is this from? That's Final Fantasy. <laughs> okay. I mean, I knew that there was a character called Cloud, and I couldn't remember what property it was from. I'm sorry. Oh, that's fine. You got your goof in. Yeah. Got the, that goof that you clearly have been holding for a while. Cloud summons their guardian force, and Ifrit jumps from the ground and wipes out a bunch of... <laughs> <laughs> forces well yeah the credits credits roll over the two gun stars destroying the shipyard yeah the end there you go y- you fucking did it that was act- like I, that was i mean it was good i like the the idea that maggie becomes the new centauri is good um well i started we're running a little long but some of us will cut we can work with but i started with the idea of when i sat down because to pull back the curtain when uh when madison and i decided to start the show and we had the idea of also having friends on who are writers who had ideas for movies i my brain went oh i should do a uh, starfighter sequel and so i came up with the main ideas for this i mean before hook two even was recorded and then i ended up taking a break from it for a long time i'm glad i did because it wouldn't have been this good if i had done it then I'm better at this now than I was three years ago. But the first idea I had was to role reverse Alex and Maggie. Because in the first movie, Maggie is very much comfortable where she is. She doesn't want to leave the trailer park. This is the life she likes and she's comfortable here. And Alex is itching to stretch his legs. Mm -hmm. And so in this one, Alex has turtled into the thing he's good at, starfighting. And he's put off learning about the other planets, being like an ambassador, that kind of thing. And Maggie is the one who's going out on this adventure to stretch her legs. And then it just, I had the idea of, I'm not here to find the next Starfighter. I'm here to find the next Centauri. And I was, after that, I was like, of course, Maggie's the new Centauri. Yeah. Well, and also it like, it like, it also had nothing to do with imagining Maggie in that hat. Sure. That, that did not factor into my decision at all. Sure. Yeah. Well, it also like, because Alex doesn't want to do that kind of stuff, but Maggie would be good at doing that. Cause like, like, or Mm -hmm. like, interacting and like going to different planets and like finding like like Mm -hmm. alex isn't going to be the one recruiting new starfighters right you know no and my idea was more the just interacting with like the the delegates like the star league races Mm -hmm. like he needs to learn their greetings and like some of their customs and stuff but that's like i'm not good at that i'm good at starfighting like i'm just going to keep doing this and maggie being the one who's like hey i can like just like stretch my legs and actually do something here and then she becomes the new centauri and um, and also her doing right. that helps alex because it's like oh i don't have to do it all <laughs> like exactly like i said this all kind of i started with the idea of role reversing and then a lot of it kind of naturally fell into place for me of like 
what would logically happen. Like, Alex would be run ragged because he's the only starfighter. Yeah. Like, and so there would be time, which would mean, oh, okay, so they'll need, they'll find a new one. Oh, I can send Maggie along. That's how I keep her in the story. And, oh, she can become the new Centauri. That would be cool. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, but I was very, I told Jackson this as I was writing it up to about the point where they take off for their missions. I was like writing the outline and I basically would just close my eyes and I just watched it play in my head. Yeah. I didn't even like, like think about it for a while. I was just like, this is naturally what would come next. Like I was very excited. So then when I got to the hard part of writing it, right, that wasn't happening. I was very angry. Yeah. All right. If I did it, that's credits on another episode of the equalizers. Madison Jones, tell the people where they can find us. People can find us on Spotify, Spotify, mm-hmm. um, Spotify, iTunes, Stature, um google play po- uh go- yeah go- google pla pood bean <laughs> <laughs> and everywhere else podcasts are found by searching the equalizers you can get in contact with us on foosbook and tweener at the equalizers we have a jamal it is equalizers at jamal.com <laughs> jamal and we have an <laughs> We have an Instagram, and it is the underscore equalizers. Special thanks on our theme tune, Two Step Strutton, Go to the Banana Boys, off their debut album, Technicolor Girl from Outer Space. You can find them online everywhere. What, Madison, what? God, do I love that theme tune. <laughs> Great. Good good contribution. You can find them on, on Instagram, Facebook, everywhere by searching Banana Boys. And as always, they spell that B-O-Y-E-S, like an oh, yes. Their album is on all streaming services now. Madison Jones, what are we doing next time? You get to pick. I'm. This is your call. I picked this one, so you get to pick. I should do something a little different. Something that's not a space adventure. Yeah, I really want to do Star Kid, but like I know. Um, is it, did I put it on here? Yeah, you it's on are. there. We could also go off the list if you have something that you're thinking would be really cool to do. Like I just this is. Can I do School of Rock? Sure. Let's do School of Rock. One that would be a good right. watch. Uh, I've seen it many times, but like, oh, I, have I think I think that would be a good watch. Uh, I think it'd be interesting. Like, I don't, I don't think we've done a Jack right. Black in a while. Have we done done a Jack Black before? I mean, um, House with a Clock in Its Walls. Um, oh yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. Like he, he I killed you, him off in this in the Avengers sequel or my Avengers movie, and he has not come back up ever again. I forgot he was in that movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's like not a part of like the Avengers verse, right? So, oh, I know that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, even once we brought Lewis back in, I totally forgot Jack Black was in that yeah. movie. Um, yeah, let's do that. All right. So, next time, The Legend of the Rent is even more hardcore as we do School of Rock 2. <laughs> I'm very excited. <laughs> so, for the Equalizers, I'm Addison Jones. I'm Mike Knoll. I pledge allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the band. To the bands of Mr. Schneebly. Of Mr. Schneebly. And will not fight him. And will not fight him. For creative control. For creative control. And will defer to him on all issues related to the musical direction of the band. Let's get rockin'! To be continued. First take your favorite leg, and then you kick it up to your chest. And then you pump your open palms, and then you really start breaking a sweat. That's all there is, that's really it, you barely even gotta move your butt. Come on, man, now follow my lead, and we'll do the two-step struck. Come on, dance with me.